This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Hi, welcome to the Finding Holy podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Hales. I'm author of the book, Finding Holy in the Suburbs, and the forthcoming book called A Spacious Life. Here at the Finding Holy podcast, it is our aim to help you connect the dots to the big things that matter to your everyday holy life. You'll get to hear my guests' laundry routines too, because big things matter, but so does the laundry. Here's a little bit more about my guest today. Jen Pollock-Michelle is the award-winning author of Teach Us to Want, Keeping Place, and Surprised by Paradox. Her fourth book, A Habit Called Faith, is the book we're chatting about today. Jen holds a BA in French, an MA in literature. She's an American living in Toronto and a wife and mother of five. She's the lead editor for Imprint Magazine, published by the Grace Center for the Arts, and she hosts the Anglewood Review of Books podcast. Join us for this conversation as we talk about faith. How can it be a habit? How do we enter into the life of faith? Maybe not simply intellectually or emotionally, but practically through our habits. Enjoy this conversation with Jen. Friends, I am excited to welcome my good friend, Jen Pollock-Michelle, to the podcast. She's been here before, and today we're talking about her newest book called A Habit Called Faith, 40 Days in the Bible to Find and Follow Jesus. So I'm excited to talk about habits and spiritual formation with Jen. Thanks for being here. Ashley, so fun to be here again. Thank you. Yes, you're so welcome. So tell me about habit. You know, it can sound like a super boring word, like eating habits and exercise habits, and no one really wants to do that. So what is the spiritual practice of habits and how has that mattered in your own life? It's so funny when people are like, gosh, you know, do I have an option to not form habits? You know, like habits feel boring. Habits feel too ordinary, you know, too sort of predictable. And the thing is, is that we all have habits, right? Right. We Mm -hmm. have, whether we intentionally pattern our days and months and years, or whether we don't, doesn't mean that we're not. Of course, we all kind of have this repetitive, we have repetitive motions that we sort of rely on. Mm -hmm. And research would tell us that in some ways that helps us to sort of navigate an increasingly complex world. You know, you don't want to have to have like 800 choices for breakfast. You know, you probably have a habit of eating sort of of the same things. And I think, you know, when we think about our spiritual lives and well, I guess the other thing I would say about habits is that they're just so formative Mm -hmm. for good or for, or for ill, mm-hmm. you know, if your habit is to, you know, get moving at some point every day, that's going to be a real, that's a really great habit for you and for your mm-hmm. health. And if your habit is to sort of crash on the couch at the end of the evening, because you're so exhausted and eat a lot of chips, which I am totally tempted to do, <laughs> yeah, that's not going to serve you super well. And so habit of habits are formative. I think I've sort of latched onto a phrase that James Clear uses in Atomic Habits. He says, you get what you repeat. Hmm. And I think that's just a really simple way of saying habits are formative. Hmm. Whatever you repeat, that ends up to be 
kind of determinative of the person that you become. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's just true spiritually as it is physically, as it is emotionally and relationally. Um, I mean, I think about the apostle Paul who often would talk about the spiritual life as like, as similar to athletic training, mm -hmm. you know, that there was practice involved, that there was discipline that was involved, um, that you had to kind of make progress. Um, mm -hmm. You had to stick with it. You had to keep running. And so I find that actually more hopeful than not. I mean, mm -hmm. number one, it sort of delivers you from the expectation that everything's going to be all done, you know, tomorrow. Right. Um, and I think it is help, it's helpful and hopeful in a way too, because it gives you a practical kind of way into mm -hmm. the spiritual life, mm -hmm. which for a lot of people feels very esoteric and ethereal mm -hmm. and maybe just abstract. They're not really sure how, how, to, how to make sense of life with God, mm -hmm. um, if that yeah. is just to be a feeling thing or a thinking thing. I think that's really important. Yeah, there's people in conversations I know who are like, well, I'm just not as intellectual as you, Ashley, or, you know, I don't have these maybe emotional highs and lows like you do. And so what does a life of faith look like? And I think habits might be a really great way to begin to to make sense of the spiritual life that way. Yeah, I, I you know, I kind of got, I latched on to another thing, a much older sort of writer and mm -hmm. thinker, Blaise Pascal, mm -hmm wrote about habit as a way into a vital life of faith, you know, mm -hmm. for people who do, aren't going to get there intellectually and they're not going to get there emotionally, like mm -hmm. they can actually sort of like, just sort of take up the habits of faith as a way of taking up faith mm -hmm. itself, which I know for those of us who are like outside of maybe a tradition that's more liturgical or, or Catholic, you mm -hmm. know, um, that can sound a little bit scary. Like, are you talking about like <laughs> works? Right. Um, um, and I, and I, we're not, you know, I mean, we're not, we're, of course, the whole frame of this is the grace of God. Mm -hmm. And I also love the language of A.W. Tozer, who talks about habit as spiritual response mm. so that you have this idea that God's the first mover, you know, grace is kind of the air that we breathe. We mm -hmm. would not love God if God had not loved us first. And habit is just a way to sort of cultivate, it's a language, um, a category maybe for thinking about how we might respond to God's love. Mm -hmm. um, and for people, especially I've, one of the interests that I had in writing a habit called faith was for people who are outside mm -hmm. of faith, you know, maybe out standing on the other side of the door that mm -hmm. C.S. Lewis would talk about. Mm -hmm. And they don't really even know how to open it. Like, how would that door sort of open to them? And again, to, to believe as we do that by God's grace, that door opens mm -hmm. and God would reveal himself and allow us to know him and understand the gospel. Like that's all by grace. But sometimes, you know, maybe God uses things that are so ordinary, like getting yourself to church every week. We're actually making a practice of reading scripture mm -hmm. or, um, I mean, it could be a variety of different kinds of spiritual habits. Like just doing those things consistently can actually create the conditions for faith. Right. I think that's really, it's really wise. And it, I think sometimes we make faith seem so inaccessible or like you have to have a certain personality type or a certain like ability to understand all these rich theological truths, but really to say, okay, well, how can we actually start something small, bodily, regular, rhythmic, you know, how can we start a habit of faith? Tell us a little bit about where this book came from in inviting some of your own 
curious neighbors into a habit called faith. Mm-hmm. I mean, for quite some time, actually, from like early years of marriage, Ryan and I have often regularly kind of invited people to read the Bible with us who weren't Christians. So in the early years of our marriage, we hosted, you know, some studies, you know, Mm -hmm. some kind of just informal discussion groups, I guess you could say, neighbors, colleagues, you know, friends, um, come and read the Bible with us. And, and, you know, we saw people come to faith and we saw people who didn't, you know, certainly too. Um, I can think of a neighbor that I had when I was a young mom and she, I was also leading a Bible study in my neighborhood and, she had been sort of raised in a very nominal Christian home mm-hmm. and had been really interested in new age spirituality and was reading a lot of stuff, um, you know, in that sort of direction. And then um, was coming to my Bible study and was just kind of grappling with what the Bible had to say. And I said, you know, you really need to just actually read the Bible for yourself. Don't just, don't just come on this one day a week read it um, for yourself. And I mean, she got the one-year Bible. I think she got the chronological one-year Bible uh, completely on her own. And it was probably by like March that she became a Christian, you know? And it really wasn't, it wasn't anything um, that I ever said. There was no cleverness involved. It really was just her getting her nose in the book, Mm -hmm. in God's book. And so that has recently been also happening with some people from my church. Mm -hmm. A woman who showed up at my church a couple of years ago, um, because of a life crisis. And I, I mean, I didn't know her. I didn't, wasn't introduced to her until about three or four months after she was attending the church and finally was introduced to her. And she was just very, she was coming because, um, she was responding very emotionally to the service. You know, I think, I think she was sort of primed to, Mm -hmm. to hear, you know, an invitation to confession, a reassurance of God's forgiveness through Christ. Like all of these things were really deeply meaningful, although she wasn't making sense of them totally. Right. And so she wanted to read the Bible. I was actually writing a habit called faith. I was studying Deuteronomy and I said, well, how would you feel about studying in Deuteronomy? Let's read Deuteronomy together. Yeah. We grabbed a couple of other women from our church and Again, probably like four months into that, she was connecting a lot of dots and just the Holy Spirit was speaking through the scriptures and she became a Christian. And then this fall, her husband started coming to our small group. Yeah. And then probably three or four months later, he became a Christian. Um, And again, not because there were any sort of like just incredible supernatural events. It was just like conversation after conversation around the scriptures just really sort of taking them seriously, um, squaring our own assumptions and ideas with what was revealed there in the pages and, and really meeting Christ, you know, meeting him as the gentle and lowly savior, Mm -hmm. um, that the scriptures reveal him to be. Mm -hmm. I love it. Tell us why you wrote on Deuteronomy and John, why that pairing. So you have 40 days in the Bible, 20 days in Deuteronomy, 20 days in John. So why those two books? How do you pair them? Mm-hmm. It really came, I was studying John actually for a speaking engagement. And I started to get really interested as I was studying in the farewell discourse specifically, a lot of the commentators were saying, hey, look at all the parallels with the book of Deuteronomy. Because John, in the at the end of John, the gospel of John, Jesus is saying, 
goodbye to his disciples. He's facing his own death. He's, he's looking toward the cross and he's giving them his final instructions and commandments and praying for them, of course. And Deuteronomy is really the same kind of setting. It, Moses is obviously not facing the cross, but he's facing his own death and he's saying goodbye to the nation of Israel and he's giving them their final word, them his final words of instruction. And so I just got really interested mm -hmm. in that connection. And then the more that I started to look in the book of Deuteronomy, and again, this is a connection that's also true of John. There are these five words of faith that both of these books um, sort of highlight. Mm -hmm. And um, they're see, live, love, know, and obey. Mm -hmm. And... I got really curious about those words too. Mm -hmm. And I thought how interesting that none of those words is actually the word believe, which mm. is the first word we think of when we think about faith. Mm. And so I, I started to wonder like, what could it look like to just travel through these books and, and specifically try to notice those um, activities of faith, those postures of faith? Like, what does it mean to see God and know God and love God and um, and, and live, you know, because God is, is our source of life. Um, so that's, that's kind of how it came about. Mm -hmm. I love it. I think it's so important too, to bring scripture to converse with other parts of scripture. I like what you're saying too, about this idea of postures, you know, that these five words are kind of postures to inhabit, you know, postures to practice. How has that made a difference maybe in your own spiritual habit, keeping these postures? You know, I think about the word see, like as one example, um, one of the cool things, you know, about Deuteronomy is that Moses is constantly saying to them, look at all that you've seen God do. You've seen him provide manna for you these last 40 years. You've seen that your clothes have not worn out. Your shoes have not worn out. You've seen that God parted the waters as you left Egypt. You've seen him bring water from a rock. Look at all these things that you've seen. And yet you don't believe, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And yet, you know, like there's still this just utter lack of faith. And so the, so that just teaches me, first of all, that faith is, you know, it does require unseen, unseen evidence. Mm -hmm. I mean, we can't rely solely on the scene, but I also think that faith is not only about kind of laying claim to the unseen. Like there really right. is a seen testimony of what God has done. And the same is true in the gospel of John is that John is building his whole gospel account on these seven signs mm -hmm. that, that are to reveal the glory of God. And he specifically uses the word signs, not miracles. So they're not just like extraordinary sort of supernatural events, but they're meant to disclose, you know, Jesus identity. And so they're actually things that are seen, mm. you know, you can see Jesus turn water into wine. You can see him um, healing lame, the lame man and the blind man. You can see him feeding the 5,000. Um, but again, the scene is not enough to compel faith. Mm -hmm. And so like, I, I think that's just such a helpful, a helpful orientation for us in our journey of faith, mm -hmm. like to actually try to remember the things we've seen of mm -hmm. God's faithfulness. Mm -hmm. And then also to remember that there are a lot of things we can't see mm -hmm. a lot of things that we do just sort of take because God said it, you know, he's mm -hmm. promised it, even though we don't, we don't know for sure. We can't see it. 
And I would, so that's just one example. I mean, the other word of live, I think has probably been the most resonant like mm. for me. I think especially because it is like a drumbeat in the book of Deuteronomy. Moses just is constantly saying to the people, listen, you know, hear these words of God, obey them, heed them, and you will live. You will mm-hmm. live. You will have the blessing. And it's just a reminder. Well, A, it's a reminder of, you know, God is truly the source of life. You know, we're never going to find life outside of God through Jesus Christ. We're not going to find it in our happy families. You know, we're not going to mm-hmm. find it in our successful careers, um, in our, you know, material possessions and our good health. Um, we could have all those things and we could actually not have life. Yeah. We could actually have suffering. We could have unemployment. We could have grief. We could have, um, even unanswered prayer. And we could still actually have life, like, because God is the source of life. And I think that is like the lifelong invitation of Christian faith is trusting that we would find life in God um, and really kind of becoming the kind of person described mm-hmm. in the Psalms that, you know, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At Bow, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, BOW offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. So what spiritual habits do you practice, particularly that feel like life-giving to you? You know, as you maybe you've looked back, right, and it's something you've seen, because often, right, when we're doing these daily, weekly, monthly habits, they don't feel particularly amazing or transformative. But looking back, even in your own life, what spiritual habits do you keep and how have you noticed that that has been life-giving? You know, I think I'm tempted like everybody else to start answering that question by all of the solitary individual habits Mm -hmm. that I practice. But I actually want to like make a deliberate move and talk about corporate habits. Mm -hmm. Um, I think maybe especially because of the year that we've just lived and how we haven't been able to practice our corporate habits in the same way. And so you almost realize like how important they are getting myself to church every week. Mm -hmm. I, you can't undersell that in Mm -hmm. the spiritual life. It is kind of a mystery to me that we do have people saying this is optional. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, 
Sure. You know, we go through maybe seasons of where, where we don't want to, or, um, and I, 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 this is not to pour judgment on anybody who, who finds it hard to get to church because church can be a hard place. It can be a really hard place when you're grieving, when you feel far from God, when you feel like there's all kinds of expectations for the, the kind of person that has to mm-hmm. show up to church. Mm-hmm. But if you can, if you're in any sort of decently healthy church, you know, where you're welcomed to come, however you are, getting yourself to church is, is life giving, life sustaining. I can think about times that I've literally sort of drugged myself into church, you know, plopped myself on a pew and thought, I feel nothing. Mm -hmm. I feel as cold. My soul is like as cold as a fish, like, (laughs) and is an inert is, you know, a dead fish. (laughs) Um, And, you know, I, I feel that I don't even have a mustard seed of faith. Mm -hmm. And then you sit in the pew and you move through the liturgy and you just kind of keep getting, you just move through the familiar sort of routine of God calls you to worship because he made you, because this is what you're, where you're going to find your life is as you're rightly oriented to God and you give your praise to him and you just stand to bless his name. This mm-hmm. is where life is to be found, where you're reminded that you are so human, so frail, so faltering, you know, as you pray for the prayers of confession mm-hmm. As you're called to commune with God through his word and at the table where you're just reminded that Jesus was made known in the breaking of bread, that he's given you a meal to proclaim his death until he comes. And then, and then every week you're sent out into the world again, you're blessed and you're commissioned to carry this good news. I mean, that patterning yeah. uh, is like, it's like every week you're being restoried. Mm-hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I think, I think church is huge. And I also just want to say relationships with other Christians. I have been the kind of person, I think by personality and partly just by sinful default of just relying a lot on myself. And this last year I have deepened a friendship with two women from my church, which has been one of the women who just has recently become a Christian over the last couple of years. And then another friend this friendship has been a lifeline. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, I even think about a couple of weeks ago, something happened with one of my kids and just one of those like gut wrenching kinds of things where you're like, I don't know, I just don't, I'm, I'm hurting so much because mm-hmm. of this and they're hurting. And, and, you know, just to have somebody, two people to just automatically call and say, you guys have got to get on your knees today. (laughs) And I think specifically because these are two moms who also have teenage children and there are certain kind of challenges of just having, you know, children who are kind of making their first, their way into the world. And um, it's such a worry, it can be a worrisome time of Mm -hmm. life. Mm -hmm. And so to have these, these women who are, I'm praying with and praying for regularly. Like we're literally imagining ourselves kind of circling our arms around our families mm. and just providing like that prayer that's required. Um, so I, I, I mean, I could talk about Bible right. reading. I could talk about fasting. I could talk about fixed hour prayer. These have been, you know, really important habits for me, mm-hmm. some newer than others, but 
maybe it's just a reminder for all of us in the isolated year we've lived. I think mm-hmm. we're going to have to, we're going to have to make some intentional moves back toward our corporate life together, I think. Mm-hmm. And I'm just struck too, you know, how much of these habits are localized, right? And, and fleshed, you know, their bodily mm-hmm. experiences too, you know, and they're communal, they're bodily, they're local, that, that, that is such a touchstone to our faith. It's not that we can't have friends from all over or, you know, be by ourselves reading some dense theological tome or something, but the things that tend to transform us tend to be the very specific, the very local, the very material, which shouldn't surprise us since that's how God made us. And also like, (laughs) you know, you see Jesus, right? Like with people all the time, right up close, Mm -hmm. you know, actually touching, healing, eating, you know, anyway. Mm -hmm. That's uh, such a good point. You know, I think that's really actually been helpful for me in terms of like social justice and Mm -hmm. mercy you know, these like really big things where you think, where you grapple with how broken the world is, how oppressed people are, how privileged I am in so many ways. Like, how do I, how do I deal with that? Like, I don't know often like how to be meaningfully participating in that. But one of the things over the last year is just, I have one friend, you know, who, and we've talked about her, Mm -hmm. who came, is an immigrant to Canada and came under some really difficult circumstances. And that is just the one person that God says, just, will you just be a friend to her? (laughs) And it's funny because over the pandemic, I've seen a lot more of her as well. I've just been more intentional about about, you know, caring for her and making sure she's a single mom. She's got three young kids. And I've been thinking about that verse in James. I just, I mean, I think it dawned on me, like just that care, like true religion is visiting the widow and the orphan. Mm -hmm. I always actually had in my mind thought about that scripture as the care for the widow and the orphan. And the word is actually visiting, and I thought, oh, because care can actually, we can think of that in a very disembodied way. Right. I care when I give money. Right. I care right. when I pray. And those are really important things to do. But visiting, that is like, you can only do that with your body. Yeah, right. Proximity matters. That's yeah. right. Yeah. What would you suggest? So let's say someone picks up your book. Either they are curious about God and they wouldn't consider themselves a Christian or a Christian picks it up and says, wow, I've never thought about inviting some of my neighbors who don't know Jesus to actually read the Bible with me. What would Mm -hmm. you suggest kind of as a first step or even just some introductory questions? Like when you gathered with some of these women, what did you do? You know, or like what were some of the questions that you came to together in the Bible that both allowed them to bring their questions and doubts and vulnerabilities as well as staying true to, I actually believe that this is the inspired and inerrant word of God, you know? So Mm -hmm. yeah. What would you say is kind of a practical way to begin some of those conversations? I'm so glad you're asking that because I don't think that we always know how to be in that kind of environment. Like, Mm -hmm. especially when you're like opening scripture together and coming from the position of a Christian who values scripture, mm-hmm. who trusts it, even if I don't understand it all the time, even if there are parts that chafe against, you know, what I really want 
or what I really think, you know, deep down or value. Mm-hmm. Like I, I am, I already sort of assume a position of submitting to it, right. you know, right. Wriggling, wriggling, right. yeah. you know, <laughs> to return to the fish analogy. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> But so I think like, I think just sort of lowering the temperature Mm. on like what, um, uh, on the environment, like just automatically making explicit, we're not all coming from the same place Mm -hmm. and that's absolutely okay. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that's most helpful is to just, um, try to, um, First of all, whenever you're reading the Bible with somebody and they're very new to it, like really orienting them Mm -hmm. so that they don't feel like the stupidest person in the room. Mm -hmm. Honestly, even for somebody who's new to the Bible, when you say, you know, open your Bible to Mark, you know, or John chapter 12, verse 37, Mm -hmm. they're like, oh my gosh, you know, the anxiety Mm -hmm. of I have to navigate this book that I don't know the first thing about John, what is that chapter? You know, they don't know where, what the numbering system is. So even just like, if you're going to come into, let's say you're in a group setting and you're leading it. Um, and you've got people in your group who are very unfamiliar with the Bible. You're like, Hey, this is totally chill. We know that we're all coming from a variety of different places. Some of us are more familiar with the Bible. Some of us are less, you know, we're going to just do a quick kind of like primer on the Bible, you know, and literally like encouraging people to have a paper copy, I think is really helpful because you can get a better sense of like actually how it's put together look, there's all these books, you know, we call the first part, the old Testament or Christians do, you know, Mm -hmm. of course, Jews Mm -hmm. would call that the scriptures. Mm -hmm. Um, the second part, the new Testament, um, the the difference is, is that Jesus, you know, like the second half of the Bible, the new Testament is all about the revelation of Jesus. That isn't to say that the first part doesn't deal with Jesus. It really is the anticipation of Jesus. And, and so when we say chapter, that means the big number and Mm -hmm. verse, that means the small number. All of that sounds so basic, but it can be really, really helpful. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I like I think about my friend whose husband came to small group um, in the fall, like he was very open. And I think that was helpful because his wife was in the group and she knew <laughs> us really well. And he knew us just because he'd already been coming to church. And he's and he has said, you know, it's not easy to be in a group where you feel like you're the person that you know the least Right. Um, that you're there, or maybe that you're going to be asked a question that you don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so having some, like, even just kind of quote unquote rules of engagement, like mm-hmm. I'm never going to ask you a question that you're unprepared for right. having questions in advance. You know, it could be mm-hmm. something super mm-hmm. simple too. Honestly, when I have been reading the Bible where I had, had been reading the Bible with this friend, Esther, we used um, David Helm's uh, reading one-on-one or something like that. It's reading the Bible one-on-one or it's, it's something super short, super easy. And he actually just has three questions. Okay. He has, the first one is observation and he has these little symbols. So you, um, it's a light bulb. Mm -hmm. It's just, what are your light bulb moments? Mm -hmm. As you read this passage, a light bulb moment might be I'm aghast that this says this. I cannot believe, you know, this confirms every uh, um, assumption I've had about how primitive, you know, religious faith is. It could be that. Yeah. It could be, oh, I, I, you know, I noticed this word sort of being repeated. It could be anything. 
And that is so open-ended that I feel that almost anybody could make an observation. Right. Um, And so that's the first one. And then he says, the second one is um, uh, questions. It's just a question mark. Like, I don't understand this. I don't see how this fits together with this. I don't understand this word. I don't see what Jesus is saying. Uh, You know, anything Mm -hmm. you don't understand. And everybody, you know, can probably think of a question too. And then the last one is application. It's an arrow. Mm -hmm. Um, It's this, it's just, here's how this meets me where I am today. Mm -hmm. Now I know that there are going to be people who go, oh my gosh, like that's just so basic. And how are you really getting into the meat of scripture? Mm -hmm. If you just have these, like such a basic, almost kind of crude framework, but I think you have to ask yourself, what is the purpose of, of this particular group, or maybe it's just one-on-one Bible reading. If you're reading, you, what you, at least how I approach a habit called faith, and, and even just as I've read the Bible with other people, I'm asking them, A, to kind of square their own assumptions with what the Bible says. Yeah. I think even if you just do that, it's super duper helpful because everybody comes to the Bible with a certain set of assumptions. Mm -hmm. Some people think God's really, really nice. And he never says anything that, you know, Santa Claus wouldn't say. Right. That could be really helpful to just sort of Mm -hmm. illuminate. Mm -hmm. Maybe the God of the Bible isn't the God that they assumed. Maybe in a good way, in a bad way. And, you know, and then you just ask people to just keep sticking with it, you know, Mm -hmm. stick with it, keep reading. Um, And you never ask people to check their brains at the door. Like the other thing too, is we don't have to be nervous about people reading the Bible. Not at all. Not even a book like Deuteronomy, which goes into some hard things. The Holy Spirit works as people read the scriptures. Yeah. It works to transform us it works to produce faith in our hearts and in people's hearts who don't know Jesus. Mm, That's so good. I would love to hear as we conclude your laundry routine, because all of these big things matter, but so does the laundry and yeah, you have five kids. So got to hear your laundry routine. You know what? I think my, my answer to this is going to be totally different than the last time we talked and I'm so thankful. So at the beginning of the pandemic, I actually told my husband he could do his own laundry. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I had been doing his laundry for like 24 years. And I just finally said, huh, I think, I think I'm going to give you that job now. Yeah. He's doing his own laundry. All of my teenage children do their own laundry. The only laundry that I do in the house is I do my, um, my laundry. I do our sheets and towels. I do actually, I do all the bedding and the towels. Um, and then I do the twins laundry. We have twins that are 13. They could probably figure it out pretty soon, but I, I baby them a little bit and I don't fold their laundry. Mm-hmm. They literally just, I, they get it in a basket and if they want to shove it in their drawers, so they have nice. certain things they have to hang up like their yep. school uniform, but everything else, I don't care. Yeah. I don't care if you don't turn your socks right side out and uh, you know what, they're yeah. going to get washed like that. And they're going to get shoved in your drawer like that. If you want to wear them like that, I really don't care either. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> so, 
look at me. Yes. Well done. I'm so proud of you. That is so good. Uh, well, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you for helping us think clearly and confidently and just giving us a few starting places about faith and what habits we might develop in community. Thanks so much, Ashley. You're welcome. Friends, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Jen Pollock Michelle. Go on over to the show notes, check out some of her other books, and order a copy of A Habit Called Faith today. I want to leave you, as I always do each week, with a small step so we can begin to take all of these ideas and thoughts and actually integrate them into our everyday holy lives. So this week, your small starting place is to think about a habit that you already do. Maybe it's brushing your teeth. Maybe it's going for a daily walk. Maybe it's doing a load of laundry every day. Whatever your habit is, think about what you can maybe attach that's a faith habit to your actual everyday habits that you already have going. So for instance, maybe while you're folding laundry, you practice reading the Bible, like listening to an audio app. Or maybe when you go for your walk, you have a conversation about spiritual matters with a friend. Think about how you can actually make a habit that you already have more rich by adding a habit of faith to it. I'd love to hear how it goes. You can tag me at AA Hales on social media and we can get this conversation going. Friends, thank you so much for being here at the Finding Holy podcast. I know that rich, nuanced, thoughtful, deep conversations are really rare these days. Most of the time on social media and in person, it seems that we can't actually get to common ground. We can't ask good questions of each other. Everyone's just shouting across the aisles. But here at the Finding Holy Podcast, it's my hope that we're beginning to actually ask good questions, that we are appreciating thoughtfulness and nuance. And I hope that that is modeled in the conversations here. So if that matters to you, if you're hoping to actually live in a little bit more of a civil society, support the things that matter. The Finding Holy Podcast is free to you. And all you need to do to help continue these great conversations is subscribe. So would you go ahead and subscribe today and share this episode with a friend? Your listenership helps good conversations happen. Thanks. Because remember, friends, these big things matter. But so does the laundry. This episode was brought to you in part by The Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.